A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to What Culture Wrestling, the podcast experience that is not unlike the calendar days, December 27th to December 31st, and that nobody really knows what's going on, but God, you're welcome when you get a slice of it. Anyway, my name is Adam Cleary, joined again by Michael Hampler to discuss all things AEW Dynamite after another televised episode. If you're a fan of this sort of thing, why wouldn't you be? You can subscribe to What Culture Wrestling in the direction Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we review and preview absolutely everything. I can't be bothered to list them now. We occasionally interview people as well. There's the odd roundtable discussion and, of course, a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. Card always subject to change, but as I say, I'm joined by Michael Hamlet, hot on the heels of AEW Dynamite, where we got one sort of debut Two returns and a lot of wrestling action, but we'll start with those, Michael Hamlet, because in quite possibly the most stark contrast to WWE's entire energy, Jim Ross came back and got a lovely reception. Oh, amazing. Um, I'm so glad we can talk about this at the top of the podcast because it obviously mirrors AEW's bringing about at the very start, as I believe we called on the preview. He gets the big entrance, he gets his music, it's more than just mm. him being back at the desk. It's um, It's becoming less and less relevant that we compare the wrestling promotions, because they're not both wrestling promotions. One is, the other is WWE. But Jim Ross's return is, again, as you say, like the stark contrast brought into bright focus. Um, This is the sort of stuff, as much as long-term stories, as much as satisfying in-ring action, that will solidify a relationship between a wrestling company and wrestling fan for years, decades even. You just want to see the performers being treated as real human beings. You want to feel that warmth and you want to feel that niceness because then you yourself feel part of it. Jim Ross is a beloved figure. And I think people, and this is like a glorious occasion. You know, we had something like this in WWE when Roman Reigns announced that he was in remission, y'all. But that is not a nice company. So you're not left to labour on that. Jim Ross has very sort of made a dignified return, announced in the afternoon, just after our preview went live frustratingly, that he was indeed (laughs) cancer-free, made his return at the desk, hit the catchphrase, and straight away you were just, you know, imbibed with that warmth of this being the promotion that understands what it is you want to see and hear, rather than, as we always go back to, things being pulled from a gentleman's anus. Yeah, um, it would be nice to say that, you know, you can give them the benefit of the doubt, but it's you could not get a more stark contrast as it's literally the same human being having not the same health issues, but certainly like he wasn't exactly a young sprightly gentleman when Vince McMahon was removing things from his hoop, was he? So it's not Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, he was just some daft kid then. He was still an old man facing very serious health issues. And now he's an older man facing even more serious ones. And yeah, it's just it's just nice to see these things done. And I can understand if people think there's a slightly cynical element to this, but you just get the impression that even if there wasn't this horrid history of, again, and I can't stress this point enough, Vince McMahon removing prop comedy items from his butthole <laughs> uh, purely to try and get a laugh off a crowd who he thinks are as cruel as he is. Mm. You just sense they would have done this anyway. They would have done this with anybody. They would yeah. do this. It kind of feels like there's a bit of a family vibe there. So it's just, I mean, they didn't, they didn't dwell on this too long. They certainly weren't milking it for whatever. It was like, look, you all wanted to know how he was. Here he is. Here is the announcement. He's back. And as you, I think, speculated yesterday, it's probably going to be a full-time uh, return the guy obviously still has to look after his health and obviously this was in I believe uh, driving distance mm-hmm. of his house so that probably wise back on this show but just yeah just it's just nice isn't it which I think again I think you said yesterday sometimes nice things are just nice yeah the, like the uh, AW have understood that there needed to be a lot lot more of this in mainstream pro wrestling um, and you can't always obviously you don't want these circumstances to occur in the first place but when you do it behooves you to kind of not take full advantage but just treat it like the real thing it is. Yeah, and you're know, speaking of nice, I just want to shout out the person who tweeted me yesterday to say that uh, 
I asked you how your Christmas was when we did the essays podcast, and we got this lovely big sprawling answer, and you never asked me back. So, oh, oh, God. oh no. <laughs> Right, let's not move swiftly on. As I did in our podcast preamble before we hit record, let me say it again. Have you had a nice Christmas, Cleary? Yeah, it's all right. So anyway, Jurassic Express, Christian Cage and the Lucha Brothers versus FTR, Matt Hardy and Private Party. Now, normally in this 10-person tag thing, you expect about 10 minutes of story development where they're trying to pair certain people off for matches, then a complete unwatchable mess for five, and then just the normal the normal suspects either getting the pinfall or taking the pinfall. But this was this actually felt to me a little bit more a little bit more structured, a little bit restrained, a little bit not too over the top. Although it certainly did do all the things it was setting out to. Yeah, I thought this was okay. Um, there's a a pattern that we've identified in these dynamite reviews over the years that the young books are integral to these matches being elevated from the simply entertaining multi-man spot fest to something that borders special and mm, they were mm. they were missing here ftr often try and take that spot this was just okay for me even though ultimately it got to the point of where we've been trying to get to for a while which is setting up the jurassic express lucha brothers exchange you know we're like yeah. actually, we can t- touch on the interview segment later on in the show now where the match itself was set up uh, what you realized fairly early on because the storytelling was a little bit on the nose was that this, this mostly existed for the dissension in the babyface ranks, driven by Christian being a little bit of a cynical prick and wanting to get the wanting to get the glory and wanting to get the heat for his a boy and his dinosaur uh, against the Leech Brothers as tag champions. Christian has created the divide between these babyface friends and eventually he will create the divide between, of course, his own team, we assume, when that tag match happens. They got to where they wanted to go, but the match didn't feel... There was a, a lot of that on this show. I think this felt a little bit inessential. I'm not sure if it was just the like the general sort of appearance of Matt Hardy always gives that feeling of, oh, I don't need to pay full attention to this. <laughs> FTR being associated with the Hardy family office is a step down from where they would typically be, even though they got the win. I, I, I feel guilty when Ray Phoenix does the things he does. He had his moment of magic here where he just jumped 100 foot in the air onto that mass of bodies. I feel guilty when... I'll refer to a match like this as humdrum, but such is the life of the spoiled wrestling fan. I thought it was okay. I thought it moved things along, but it didn't It didn't thrill and it didn't buzz in the way that I think AW, like, root around in the dark for when you put so many guys out there. This is going to start, this is going to sound like a criticism on my part, but I need to stress before I go in that it's a compliment just because you know how people like to latch on to the core part mm-hmm. of the sentence, the not hear what you say afterwards. This is me genuinely trying to pay AW a compliment. If I was running this company, I would still be so obsessed with the idea of new viewers coming into it every week. Like there is this, you know, on the one hand, you've got lapsed wrestling fans who might not have been watching anything for 10 or 15 years, or you might have people who've been religiously tuning into the other channel who are slowly moving away. I would be obsessed with this idea that every time you start an episode of AEW Dynamite, you need to literally go, this is what you are missing. This is how good it can be. And as a result, I would never have the bravery to put Christian, uh, Matt Hardy, uh, the rev- I'm doing massive air quotes here, The Revival, a man mm. in a dinosaur mask, and a load of <laughs> other people who most people are unaware of mm. on like a casual level. I would not have the balls to ever open a show like that because I just I, I would be like, well, if anybody tunes over for the first time here, they'll be like, oh, so it's a load of guys I sort of half remember and a load of people I've never seen before, none of which are going to really, really catch the eye. Apologies to Scott Taylor for there for saying that uh, Luchasaurus is not a me- an immediate reason <laughs> to stay tuned in. Um, and again, I don't mean that as a criticism. I mean that as a compliment because I think, as you say, this was fine and it did get to where it needed to go, but the elements of it, either by being people who you think are unwatchable or certainly not, it means you don't have to pay attention, versus people who are currently not really at the top of the game, they're not really capturing the imaginations they once did. And it was still fine. It still worked. It still did everything it needed to do. I think this is, this is it's bold booking. It's, it's very AEW feeling like it's in its stride. It's not something it's going to get criticism for. No, I think that's, um, like, I think that's a good point as well. As somebody completely ensconced in the bubble as I am, I sometimes fail to consider what might be happening outside of it. And I think that's a reasonable assessment of the the layout and the composition of the guys you've got here, especially when you consider what 
came next. And if you're thinking, well, if you are that mm. passing passing clicker that has seen one multi-man match to get a vision of some of the mid-card, you're going to get another one next with a completely different set of wrestlers. So I suppose in that sense, yeah, it does. I guess it does sort of present itself as ballsy, if nothing else. But I just, I don't know. My worry for this episode was that it was going to feel like inessential post-Christmas fluff. And this in particular, this opener, <laughs> didn't give me didn't give me the vibes that that wasn't going to be the case. I just I'm very, very annoyed that you've referred uh you've just invented the term inessential post-Christmas fluff after yourself, <laughs> me, Sidgwick. We've desperately tried to keep all this content going since uh December the uh 20th or 19th. Not none of it anywhere near as good as the usual output, but god damn it, no. we're trying. <laughs> Someone is definitely gonna call this inessential post-Christmas fluff now. Uh, anyway, Sosta, thanks, Sosta thanks for that. On it. Uh, yeah, but in the end, it was Christian that ate the pin, wasn't it? I'm right in saying? After SCR uh, put him down. Yes, they hit him with a big rig, which I would I would like to point out. There is a certain um evocative connotation to hitting the big rig, which was the nickname of Brody Lee that they then adopted in Daly's place around Christmas, as we sort of are just over a year on from that. Uh, Brody Lee tribute show in this very same venue last yeah. year that CM Punk referenced later on. That's, that's like really quite sweet. That nod didn't go missed. And yeah, Christian taking the pin, falling on his sword in order to kind of like finally get his mates to the tag title shot was something. Uh, moving straight on, it looks like we're finally going to have AW's of course got the AW World Championship. Uh, mm -hmm. It's got the TNT Championship, of course. This is, I'm talking about the men's division here. Obviously, the Diamond Ring as well. Something mm -hmm. quite illustrious. We're soon to get the Owen as well. That's going to be another uh, feather in the cap for wrestlers. But they appear to have very quickly, almost, I, I didn't hear this get announced. It looks like they're going to have just a one-time, one-on-one match to just see who is allowed to be crowned dad bod of the year following <laughs> the fallout to the next match. Because we had 2.0 and Daniel Garcia versus Eddie Kingston, Santana Ronatis, which went completely the opposite way we predicted on the podcast yesterday, <laughs> I should add. We thought this was merely to just try and uh, push Santana Ronatis towards um, slightly higher up the rankings for the tag titles, and it just gives Eddie Kingston a bit of a rub, and Garcia and obviously 2.0 are just there to do what they do. But no, 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 no. A surprise victory for the heels, and then just a, well, I guess we're going to fight then, uh, falling out after the bell between Chris Jericho and Eddie Kingston. Yeah, I thought all of this was a bit of a mess and it was for a number of reasons. The match never really got going, which was a bit of a shame. Um, it did. We did touch on this a little bit on the preview yesterday, but a lot of this is just built from fighting. It's not been terribly creative. Fights broke out backstage. They had matches in the ring and then they've had a rematch here. And the matches has ended with um, stealing one, the roll-up. Like, yeah. WWE are bastardised a lot, right? AW can do this every now and then, the roll-up, the stealing one, and all that sort of thing. But for this specific feud, I was quite disappointed because it ensures probably one more go-around of this when the, <laughs> kind of, the program already feels pretty exhausted. So that wasn't terribly satisfying as much as I, I do genuinely love 2.0 and Daniel Garcia. So then Chris Jericho interferes, but I was having flashbacks to Vampiro's infamous play my music because... Santana was left to get smashed in the face before Judas finally hit and Jericho finally got out there to get his big sing-along moment. And then I thought, well, that's all right, because AEW has its finger on the pulse. It has its ear to the ground. You saw Eddie Kingston looking down the hard camera lens, giving it the cutthroat, saying, turn that music off. This is not about Jericho coming and getting these unearned flowers yet again, as he always does. This is about a fight, and he's getting himself involved in it. And yet the commentators were instructed to do the old, what's Eddie Kingston's problem? Jericho's come out to help. And my issue here is, and I have put this on Twitter, so I apologise for repeating a take to anyone that follows me. If Never, apo Jer never apologise for that. If Chris Jericho is positioned as a babyface against Eddie Kingston, then we need to hold AEW's entire value system to account. This bloated gazillionaire trumper against the working class hero, <laughs> who rightfully has a bit of a thorn in his side in the form of Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho, IRL, is hanging on to Eddie Kingston's momentum like a win-it at this point. He saw, he saw that. <laughs> he saw that and he saw eyes. I'll, I'll have some of that. Just got to cut in here. Our American viewers, I think you're going to have to Google that one and you will not be disappointed. He's seen Eddie Kingston's response against CM Punk and he thought, aye, I'm Chris Jericho. I'll have some of that. But if we are being, in my opinion, this is the, the fundamental problem with this is, and this happened once more on this show, if we are being told by the commentators to think a thing rather than being shown it by the actions in the ring, that's very WWE, isn't it? 
We should be feeling what we're being shown rather than being told to think something. I can't imagine anybody is going to want to receive Jericho as the baby face in this rivalry. Well, this is the thing. I, I, I might be oversimplifying this. Um, but I always, I always think having having been um, pretty much regarded as, not, it's not really for me to say, but the creative linchpin of the most important British wrestling promotion of all time. <laughs> um, God, that's, somebody's going to think that's serious, by the way. That's literally the opposite. <laughs> anyway, just just a bit, just a, just a little bit, a little bit for a laugh. Um, or worse, or worse, they're going to tie you to progress, and nobody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, anyway, uh, I, I might be able to simplify this, but I think when you've got two performers, the stature. Uh, of both Eddie Kingston, I don't again. I don't just mean the gut. I mean like the the like the the reception, the relationship they have with the fans. Two people who could both conceivably in any storyline connect with the audience in a big way, but who the way they present themselves mean that they can toe the line between face and heel very easily. Why not just do this and not strongly book it either way for who's in the right and who's mm-hmm. in the wrong, and yeah. then see which way the crowd goes and then lean into that. Because yeah. for all we hate WWE going, oh, I turned because of you people. Ugh. That's actually a legitimate thing to do with the booking if you let the people do the thing first. Like, mm. if they're both like baby faces, but see, Punk versus Kingston is a great example of this because the fans, quite surprisingly, got really behind Kingston, I thought. Like, when you think mm-hmm. it was Punk, they could have very easily, I mean, they weren't going to do it because it wasn't supposed to be a long term thing, but it would have been very easy for Punk to then turn here and be like, Hey, I came back and one minute you love me, and now all of a sudden, oh, I'm actually being a dickhead now because of you people. That mm-hmm. does work. And they could have done it here rather than trying to sort of pitch Chris Jericho as a rescuing hero to the detriment of Eddie Kingston's unreasonably short temper. Well, yeah. And, you know, that's a fair point as well. Like live crowds. Maybe this is bubble stuff. Live crowds love singing along to Judas, so they're going to get that kick out of Jericho's appearance, even if they don't like him within the body of the match. I think that's the punk comparison is the one we keep going back to because CM Punk is really, really good, and like, and in, in in a large part, some of this is true. But he's really good at presenting himself as an iconoclastic working class hero, until he was face to face with an actual iconoclastic working class hero. Yeah. And the dif- and the difference was apparent. One guy it's is stark, a million yes. is a millionaire off all of this versus a guy that at the very last minute has like grasped this opportunity by the throat. The difference was clear. That should happen again between Jericho and Eddie Kingston, but maybe you're right. Like let let this be sort of the the old like Christian and the Lions. Let the crowd decide when they're in these big buildings exactly who they want to make noise for. I suppose that's me imposing my take on it if I think that Jericho cannot possibly be the babyface. If the fans make more noise for him, then so be it. But I'd like to see that played out fairly rather than us being led one way by the commentary. Uh, yeah, I think I pretty much... That pretty much do you think they're gonna, how long do you think this is going to rumble on? Like, Do you think uh, Kingston-Jericho... Is, is that is going to be a long-term thing now or is this just to keep both of them sort of... Just to sort of get Jericho back in and to give Kingston something to do? Well, my worry is, is that they will have the match... And then we're going to be kind of like force fed this mutual respect and they'll actually end up teaming together. Jericho had this habit on his podcast of whenever he had a guest on, he would align himself with any guest you want, pick any wrestler from any generation. And he'd do this thing where he'd go like, yeah, like me and you are kind of the last guys to do insert wrestler habit here. So he thinks he was the last ever indie guy. He was the last guy to cross over Japan, last guy to be part of the old system, whatever. I worry that eventually he'll force feed some mutual respect. Me and you, Eddie, we're kind of the same. Gonna, oh, no, God. you're not. Even Kingston himself is going to say, no, we're not. But Jericho has a lot of say here, evidently. So I worry that this will be a match to build up a team rather than to build up a, like, just a match. Well, I personally await the tag team title run of the Heavenly Dad Bods with bated <laughs> breath. Anyway, we've got Maxwell... You know what? Yesterday I was reaching for that furniture joke. I just couldn't find it. I just, for some mm-hmm. reason, my brain said there's a joke here about MJF sounding like it's MFI was what I was thinking of. Yes. MFI, British staple, always having an 80% closing down stale. MFI, mm-hmm. more furniture ideas. Anyway, more furniture ideas was backstage. Uh, he was talking about dives and blah, etc., etc. But they, are they doing a can they coexist angle with him and Wardlow here? Because obviously this was it was leading up. He was saying he wants Wardlow to qualify for the uh, face of the revolution, I believe it's called. This ladder well, yeah, match, yeah. so you can win the TNT title and give it to MJF. And then they were like, oh, Wardlow doesn't seem too happy about that. And as you said before, they've been they've been doing this whole Wardlow playing to the crowd with the, again, I think I'm getting this right, is this the Powerbomb Symphony? It is. It yes, is, yeah. playing to the crowd with that, much to the chagrin of MJF. See, I can do big words too. Much to the chagrin <laughs> of MJF. So 
Yeah, like we'll talk about this and the match sort of as, as like one thing because it does play in quite quite nicely. But what's your what's your take on this? I thought this promo was excellent. This is um this is virtually a story that has gone on since Wardlow like redebuted as MJF's heavy in late 2019, very early on in the story. Um, there was one week where MJF was particularly abusive to Wardlow and everybody got excited for why, what, when Wardlow was going to turn. And then the detail was revealed. Yeah. Wardlow is not paid by AEW, he's paid by MJF. So he's not on Tony Khan's books, he's on MJF. So that immediately sets up the power dynamic and why Wardlow has to be the heavy rather than just plowing through this arsehole boss of his. So then you have that and you have this tension that builds and builds and builds. And they've absolutely been ramping it up over the last sort of six to eight weeks. It's become more pronounced that if only Wardlow would just be able to break, break away from the financial mm. agreement he's got with MJF, everything would be great. MJF has patronised him with Sean Spears as his accountability buddy. He's now telling him not to please the people with the Powerbomb Symphony. And there was a lot of great stuff here because MJF has referenced um, what he's been calling the War of 2024, which is a bidding war that he's trying to put <laughs> between WWE and AEW. Uh, he's talking about AEW's lack of professionalism in contrast to WWE's. All that's quite cute. And this now is the latest tie that binds. He's going to rip off directly the million-dollar man, Andre the Giant, thing of, hey, big man, win me the title so I can buy it off you and save myself the work. That becomes a new direction for Wardlow. It's pretty cool because Wardlow either wins it and then you have the awesome drama of, I don't want to give you the belt, boss. And no. where, does that, where does that go? Or he falls short because of these foolish heel goons that he's surrounded by. And then he says, I'm sick of hanging with you people. I'm going to go it alone. So every outcome is great. The fact that all of this is happening whilst you are running MGF and CM Punk, is probably the hottest program in the company concurrently, I think is legitimately impressive. And as you say, like it fed really nicely into the squash later on in the show, which we can cover here. Wardlow batters Colin Delaney like a minute and a half with the people-pleasing power bombs. Sean Spears hits Colin Delaney with a chair at the end to try and like grab the glory for himself. All of this is cooking and simmering really, really nicely and I think just the right time. Wardlow could be either directly or indirectly responsible for, C for MJF's inevitable loss to CM Punk. Mm. MJF will need somebody to blame when that all goes south for him because his ego won't allow him to think that he's been beaten by somebody like CM Punk. So the fact that these two developments are happening together, I think is really, really nice dovetailing stuff. Now, far be it for me to sort of scrutinise your level of insight here because I think what you've done quite nicely is you've talked about three or four separate points. You've actually made them all relatable in a way that actually interconnects them all. And you probably helped the listener understand precisely where they're going <laughs> with each one, but how that in itself informs each of the decisions made in the other one. So that is, that is genuinely nine and a half out of ten insight. But one thing you've neglected uh, to focus on here, uh, Hamlet, is Colin Delaney. And the ah. question the question we need to answer is, why do so many wrestlers now sound like they maybe played for Burnley at some point? <laughs> Colin Delaney, a um, largely forgotten... Centre midfielder, yeah, good engine, good engine. <laughs> Actually, surprisingly popped... Somehow, if you look back, you got six goals in a season once, but you can't remember a single one of them, even though one of them was against Liverpool. You had no money left. So you put him in your fantasy team as that like safety sub. And then it turned out that when he came off the bench, he would always score for you. So he was a bit of a surprise package for you in your, your fantasy football team. He was um, a brief fixture on WWE's ECW. So for the nerds, it was quite nice to see him unearthed to take this absolute beating. Um, but yeah, Colin Delaney, bless him. Right, we're going to skip on because we've got several uh, non-wrestling segments to discuss here. Now, normally, normally, because... I, when I have to fill in for Wilborn, God, do I love to phone that in. I mean, we're literally on a Skype call right now, but I love to phone it in wherever possible. However, all three of these deserve some kind of a mention. And in one case, a bit of genuine scrutiny. Anyway, um, the Young Bucks don't really, they're not thrilled by the fact that their Christmas present was, I mean, as we discussed yesterday, how you get the executive directors or whatever the position is of a company, an employee for Christmas without them knowing about it's beyond <laughs> me. But they're not thrilled at Kyle O'Reilly being there, which obviously we expected was going to happen, informs this really exciting storyline between the books and the era, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not, we didn't end that segment with that. We ended it with, and I think Sidgwick was the one who put this on Twitter, with them paying the Capital Wrestling Center and the, <laughs> uh, the, the canological, historical uh, narrative of that far too much credit. Um, because there was a, quite a lot on this show of Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole having a bit of, 
just a bit of can they trust each other? They've, they've obviously not forgotten about their feud in the latter days of their NXT runs. Um, mm. But this question is surely just why? We all have. So I have a I have conflicting thoughts on this, right? Because fundamentally, I agree. I think, like, <laughs> as evidenced by AEW's big audience, NXT had a pretty small one. So you cater into a relatively small crowd of people actually watch that Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly feud. However, AEW have smartly positioned themselves as um, not gatekeepers because that's got negative connotations, but they are custodians of wrestling. Still, history. great word. Custodians of wrestling history that WWE are choosing to cast aside and cast asunder. So AEW will pay a loving tribute to world class from the 80s or WCW Nitro as a genuinely profitable, enjoyable vehicle rather than something that went wrong, lol, and WWE had to save the day. Like, why not really flex on how good a custodian you are by even acknowledging the, the dying embers of NXT? There is probably no greater flex than being able to say, look, we we recognise all wrestling. Daniel Bryan, or Bryan Danielson, excuse me, said a few weeks ago, hey, Paige, you're out here celebrating. What did I do the night after I won the title at WrestleMania? I wrestled on Raw. By merely acknowledging WWE as a thing, surely they minimise it as something that feeds into their bigger story. I don't yep. know if I'm maybe overthinking that, but I, I quite admire their attempts to be custodians to everything rather than just the stuff that WWE don't want. Um, so I didn't mind that too much. I think they overread the pudding a bit in the match itself, but I didn't mind that here. I always think people tend to forget about what I see. I genuinely believe is one of the most seminal creative decisions ever taken in WWE, simply because of what it told you purely by existing, but also what it told you every week in its execution. And that is Edge and Christian's old thingy awesome we're not too old show that totally reeks of <laughs> yeah. good ratings they used to do a segment called will wwe let us talk about mm. and they would bring up a subject matter and some weeks they would get a yes and they could talk about it i think one of them was like oh aj styles tna run or something like that or mm. time and impact and they were allowed to talk about it but then other weeks they would bring up a subject matter and be like will wwe let us talk about this no and that would just be the end of the segment <laughs> now whether or not that was kayfabe or not so it was always stuff they were allowed to talk about. Just sometimes it was funny to say they weren't. I don't know. But the fact that WWE likes to sort of erase from history other achievements, it likes to do so many, like, just little rewritings of history. Hardcore wrestling fans see through that straight away, and mm. casuals don't care. You know what I mean? I like yeah. Drew, Drew, uh, Drew McIntyre is an ex excellent example of this, because when he did his, his return promo package for WrestleMania... They tried to make, they really did try and show you precisely what he'd sacrificed on the Indies mm. and all of this. But they left out his neck injury. He talked about it, but they didn't tell you a single detail about it. And of course, that's because it, it happened on not one of the three pre approved uh, British independent wrestling companies that WWE liked. And they left out not just us, but like a huge other chunk of his career mm. trying to sort of like half tell this story and half not. Um, so I actually think it's to their credit that they're trying to go exactly the opposite direction and be like, look, we know you're not stupid. Sometimes mm. we're going to talk about stuff hardly any of you understand, but those that do will really appreciate it. Whereas WWE, with WWE, it's the other way around, where it's like most of you don't know what we're raising from history here and thus don't care, but those of you who do will be immediately disenfranchised by this. You'll be immediately put off the product. And the longer you do that, the more small pockets of nostalgia you hit that just annoy a thousand people there or 10,000 people there. And eventually, sooner or later, you've eroded the goodwill of every major wrestling fan, like small, small yeah. bit at a time. Um, so I think it's AEW's credit, they're just not going to do that. I do agree they're giving it, they did, as you said, over egg the pudding, which only now occurs to me that that's because if you put too much egg in a pudding, it won't come out right. I've heard oh, that yeah. expression my entire life. I've just this second thought about, because you have to, yeah, if you put too many eggs in, it'll not. It's going to, Cement yeah, it and yeah. Mm. wow there you go and i just said it and didn't even consider it yeah but yeah there was bits there was bits of this i i agree with that and yet there was bits of it in the match where i thought they maybe undermined the quite nice messaging of, of this specific pro i guess we'll get to that later on we will get you. to that we will get to that right now i don't really there is not a barge pole on earth i really want to touch this with um mm. but the men of the year uh cody brandy dustin segment um Cool, that happened. Um, why did it have to happen? What what was what what purpose did this serve on the show? 
I suppose oh, the, the easiest line of question before we get into the, like, well, before we dare touch the particular verbiage of it, like, uh, was what did this? What purpose did this serve? What did it accomplish? You see, I think you've hit upon something there because I think if we repeat the verbiage of it we are doing exactly what they did which was grasp at very low-hanging fruit wrestling fans in a large number it's that idea isn't it that like stand-up comedy is incredibly difficult however people that have paid for a ticket to laugh in a room full of other people also want to laugh there's going to be a certain giggle leap and other people are going to laugh because they want to feel part of this shared paid for experience yeah that would be that would be my justification for why certain lines got over in Daly's place as they did. I think there was a line from Brandy about you're just a low rent Paul Heyman. And that like the last time you got beat up by a woman this bad, you had to pay for it. And then Dan Lambert was making like night is season two South Park gags about her being a stripper and Brandy being a stripper name and all that sort of stuff. That really low hanging fruit will typically generate a response from large swathes of the wrestling audience. But I would invite our more discerning listeners to steer away from those cheapest of cheap pops and ask themselves what it was they were really watching here. Here's my assessment of that without digging into the pretty ugly dialogue, right? So Dan Lambert and the Men of the Year are cutting fairly unremarkable and corny Dan Lambert and Men of the Year promo. And because of heels, they get booed, right? Brandy Rhodes, now she's married to Cody Rhodes, who is currently loathed by most of the AEW fans. That's correct. That is correct. Comes out to defend Cody and is thus also booed. You are what you are witnessing four people who you hate arguing with each other. What fantastic wrestling television that is. You know, just ignoring the individual characters at play here. Whoever thought of that has been watching too much WWE Raw because we get three hours that on a Monday and two on a Friday. There are plenty of people that I hate that have to deliver scripted barbs to each other on other wrestling shows. I don't really want to watch it on Wednesday nights. So other than the name checking, other than the stripper gags and all of that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash whatculture. All I saw was figures of broad hatred slash disinterest, like griping with each other. Dustin Rhodes was sent out, not Cody, because at least he's well li- he's well liked. Yeah. And he would get like if Cody had come out to save his wife, he'd have been booed too. And then there'd just be five people out there getting booed instead of four. Dustin was the heart of this. This is the problem with the Cody verse, right? Ultimately, he might be painting the most beautiful big picture and there might be condescending arseholes on Twitter telling you, oh Cody like just thinks beyond the rest of us and you need to get on his level. If you don't get it, that's on you. And I will take that. But when the week on week misses, it does so by orders of magnitude. And this for me, badly, badly missed. Again, I invite people not to get the yuck yucks 
the the little cute lines that might have been peppered throughout this and instead try and absorb what it was that you saw was it anything that made you want to watch a match was it anything that made you want to buy a pay-per-view feature in any of these characters or was it just loud mouths getting to show off a little bit uh well that is an impassioned plea uh, by Michael Hamford to our more discerning viewers. Um, I can only hope for your sake that they're both listening to this podcast. <laughs> I agree with everything you said there. It did It did very little for me. It's actually really made me less... You made some very interesting points, I think, yesterday about this whole Cody-verse and how eventually, purely by like him convincing you that he's, he's becoming everything he set out to kill in professional wrestling, that mm. eventually that'll give someone an absolutely huge rub. But, yeah. I mean, he wasn't even in this segment. You know what I mean? Like, it can't, yeah. You can't try... They can't try and claim that this advances that logic, because what does he get out of this? You also play, um, and this is something we've laboured on with the men of the year before, uh, you also play a very dangerous game, having any characters, heel or babyface, come out and suggest that the authority figures or the people behind the scenes, the powers that be, are somehow corrupt. It's the first step on creating um, Mm. the relationship that WWE has with itself, where authority figures are incompetent boobs. So WB, for the better part of 20 years, has told you, the people that run this company can't run this company. You shouldn't respect them. That's the last thing that you, that's the last bit of messaging you want to illustrate through either heels or baby faces. So anyone being given a supposed leg up behind the scenes, I think it's just bad for, like, bad for the kayfabe universe. Yeah, WWE is a TV sh- is a TV show about people unsuccessfully attempting to make a TV show about yeah. professional wrestling. Like when you actually get down to the heart of it, the, the company itself and the creation of the TV show is actually the core premise of the TV show. They start all these shows at that main event. They've got authority figures who are trying to, for some reason, hold back popular stars for no mm-hmm. discernible reason. It's a TV show about making a TV show about professional wrestling, which is just, I agree, it's a, it's a very, very slippery slope because as soon as you set out an authority figure to be incompetent or the bad guy, inevitably they're going to lose that feud. And then what, how, what, by what justification do they continue to hold their position other than they just do and you just have to kind of get, get on with it. Anyway, uh, in happier news, we got what has been incorrectly reported in several circles by lesser websites as a debut uh, because of the, uh, the TBS title tournament semi-final, which saw Jade Cargill and Thunder Rosa, who I, I don't know if there's any... I don't know if you can think of any particular uh, two podcast uh, presenters, two handsome podcast presenters, Michael Hamlet, who said they would probably get away with doing a screwy finish here. Um, none are immediately coming to mind from yesterday, but um, perhaps perhaps <laughs> our two discerning listeners might remember them. Um, Jade Cargill advances. She did so with the help of a major assist from a masked figure who, and I was as shocked as anybody, turns out to be Retribution's uh, yeah. uh, well, um, re, what was her name? Retribute, reach around, re, <laughs> rebadge, re, rebadge, uh, renaissance, renaissance, retaliation. That's it. Retaliation. Retribution's retaliation. The very same. Everyone's been asking the big question: When will Retribution show up after so many of them released? And we finally have an answer. <laughs> this one. I mean, this was great. Look, it's um, there will be plenty of people that like earnestly. Parrot, the joke that you just made at AEW's expense. Oh, they're going to bring in all the retribution now, are they? No, they're not. They're going to bring in Mercedes Martinez because she's super valuable to a division. That oh, we're probably not, by the way, we're not probably going to cover this in the body of the review because we tend to sometimes like skim through video packages. At my count, there were four women's angles furthered on this show. And of course, this match and a new stable established. There are strides being made with the women's yep, division. I, I think there are there are arguments and discussions about representation and the one match per week principle of dynamite and rampage and things like that. But um, there was a real sense that this division had life to it on this episode in particular. I welcome more video packages and the like to build stuff and to make things feel important because we got more of that here. This was a this was Jade Cargill's best singles match that I can remember, and that's not saying a great deal because she typically doesn't go long and she typically isn't expected to flex what little she can do very well it was still sloppy in places she's uh, punches and kicks aren't the best and when you're of that size and stature that jade cargill is you don't necessarily want to throw too many weak looking ones but Mm. my god when they get jade cargill spots right they get them so goddamn right she caught thunder rosa off a dive the backbreaker that is what somebody that is not like most wrestlers does 
to most wrestlers. The pump kick that has been gifted and is everywhere on Twitter that just kicked Thunder Rosa into next week looked incredible. So these moments show that they are getting somewhere with Jade Cargill. And I love the alliance. I love the alliance with Mercedes Martinez so much. It opens up a wealth of new angle opportunities, as we saw when Ruby Soho came out to make the save. It's an old school thing where you pair an inexperienced wrestler with a very experienced one for them to have tag matches, for them to learn from each other, or certainly for Jade Cargill to learn from Mercedes Martinez. You have established a way in which Cargill's inexperience in the final against Ruby Soho can now be aided by someone like Mercedes Martinez at ringside who can run interference from it if she even needs it. So she can win cheaply, but in a way that still doesn't particularly bury the match itself. And Mercedes Martinez being back on a mainstream wrestling show is good for everybody. Really great for everybody. I, like, I thought this match was better than average and the Mercedes Martinez outcome was something none of us could have predicted. And yet I'm sure everybody is buzzing about today. Yeah, it's one of those things that all the pieces feel like they make immediate, immediate sense. And I actually hadn't, I didn't realize it was as many as four angles that they furthered on this show. I did have a little mm-hmm. note to myself that it was multiple. I didn't realize it was as many as four. Um, yeah, Martinez is just, she had such a short run in NXT that everybody was very excited over because she genuinely did feel like in that kind of, you know, tele- television era uh, where the women's division was, it was as good, it was as good as it had been, but it, much mm-hmm. like the men's, it wasn't benefiting from that rotate rotation of stars. People weren't leaving to go into the main roster and freeing up all these spots. They did it did need something because um, I think at, at the time I might be getting my dates slightly wrong with this, but you had you had Aaliyah and you had Tay Conte at the time. who really felt like the only two bits of new blood. Tay Conte mm-hmm. was miles away from where she is now. Aaliyah was miles away from where she is now, and it felt very much like you had takeover. You had a takeover standard batch of women's wrestlers at the top then a huge golfing class, and then the people who should have been using NXT for TV experience underneath that. So Martinez coming in felt like, right, this is something new. This is a new direction we can go. We can get fresh matchups, et cetera, et cetera. And then they just never really did. They never really mm. did anything substantial with her at all. And then she got drafted to the main roster, put in a silly mask, given a silly name, given a silly angle, and then unceremoniously released when, lo and behold, that didn't work at all. Um, so just, yeah... It just it feels like a name we should have heard more of. Like I'm I, I'm surprised how caught out by it we all are because when you think about it, this was a no brainer. Well, yeah, and I think it's interesting the point you make about a kind of indifferent NXT CV. Mercedes Martinez was a case where, and there was conflicting news stories, but I don't believe it was as simple as she just picked WWE over AEW. There have been various reasons for the decisions that well, we made at the time. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? This people are people are saying this is a a debut this morning. It's actually not because she has done no. multiple things with AEW in the past. But what I think it might be, and it's not something that I guess we can properly reflect on until maybe six months from now, is the latest um, paradigm shift. I guess between the two organisations, we've seen um, Brian and Cole, and I guess CM Punk as well. Um, see where the pro wrestling is and go there. And Kyle O'Reilly is obviously just joined them in the men's division. But even at the, like, probably the lowest point for NXT in the Wednesday Night War, the argument could still be made, both because of the faults of the AW women's division and the sheer array of talent in NXT's women's division, that that was what NXT had going for it. If you were, if you were a female, you had as much or a greater chance of getting over it quicker and faster and making more money in WWE's system than you did mm. AEW's. Is Mercedes Martinez's re-debut here suggesting that is no longer the case? On a night where you have four other like women's angles progressed, where on NXT 2.0, you're going back to the days, the days of the athletic tens. There's a couple of exceptions to the rule, but fundamentally we know what's happening here. They're just promoting betches and these people that, like John Laurinaitis can fap over. The main roster's dead in terms of women's wrestling at this point, save for three or four major stars. Could we be looking at Mercedes Martinez as the kind of the line in the sand, the turning point when AEW claimed that corner of, of wrestling as well? Like, And what a claim it will be, because for the longest time, it was seen as the organization's biggest failure. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting, especially with the Tony Storm news, because it'll be, you know, a solid 90 days, which gives her plenty of time to sort of, you know, surmise what she wants to do. Uh, whether she wants to go back to the Indies, whether she wants to have a run. Uh, I mean, I know she's Aus- in New Zealand or Australian, Tony Storm. Always get it mixed up. Australian, I think. Oh, one of us well, is right. <laughs> um, but she primarily did a lot of her best work in Europe and across North America. So it would be interesting to see if she does that, if she goes back to Japan. But 90 days is a long time for AEW as well, because we are seeing, you know, 
the birth of effectively a new division with the TBS title, the women's championship storyline is excellent, but does look like that Rio Britt Baker thing hasn't got much longer to run. You're going to have a lot of women underneath that who all feel like they're probably worth being in the, in the consideration where that women's division is in 90 days is going to be really, really interesting. And if it, if Tony storm quits, be, I mean, she was, I mean, granted Tony two pies is absolutely dreadful use of her, Mm -hmm. but she was still on SmackDown. She was still somebody who went through NXT UK and was getting like actual main roster screen time. She was on the house show circuit with Charlotte and Sasha Banks. So they clearly thought something of her. And if she's gone, do you know what? I'm not even waiting for me to be off television for two months and no news. I'm not even waiting for me to get told, oh, the budget's getting a bit tight, Tony. Um, I'm not wait- I'm not even waiting for somebody above me to get my name wrong and say, we've got nothing for you. I'm just going to go now. It'd be fascinating to see whether that's because she's looked at AEW and just thought, Christ, why am I, why am I going to, I'm not going to waste six months of my career here and then go there. I might as well go now. It's exciting. Um, I mentioned on Twitter last night, I'm pretty numb to news of WWE releases these days, but whoever your favourites are out there, yeah. it is at least exciting to speculate on where they might go. And we'll just want, like one last thing on AEW's women's division as well, for all the improvements they make. And we have seen this in the men's division. We sort of, over the summer, there was the... Had had two had two not been used for two separate other things in wrestling. I think a lot of people would have been saying that this was the start of AEW two with the mm. likes of Brian and Paul yeah, moving away point. from those original branding to like this new era. The next step, and I don't know if this is a bold prediction for twenty twenty two because I don't know the status of the contracts. AEW gets a horsewoman. That's when the landscape is confirmed to have shifted. Yeah, I would, I'd agree with that. You just cannot visualize it, but it's maybe time to start thinking about it. I, I agree. I mean, again, we're gonna we're gonna run way over how long I wanted to do this, but this is all we're talking about. Um, Ruby, obviously, the we talk about that sort of week period where they debuted Punk, they debuted Cole, they debuted Brian, and we always are at pains to to keep Ruby Soho in that conversation because yeah, she is yeah. worth she is as important an acquisition to that division as the three of them are to the men's, in my opinion, with what she can do and how she can elevate things there. But that comes from a position of. You know, it needed somebody. It needed elevating. Whereas the AEW men's division, you know, it had big stars in it. It had big storylines in it. It had world-renowned television draws in there. But these three were going to help take it to the next level. Now, Ruby Soho is going to do, is doing good things there. She had a great title match already. I genuinely think she's been a really worthwhile acquisition. But this is somebody who we never got to see the best of. And when she debuted, there was a lot of people who sort of maybe followed the Heidi Lovelace stuff in the indies or maybe just paid more attention to her in NXT. We're like, look, you've never seen this woman really go. You are going to be blown away by what she does in AEW. Nobody said that about Adam Cole, Brian Danielson, or CM Punk because nobody needed to say that. You yeah. know who they are. You know what they can do. And you're absolutely right. The next step for that women's division is the acquisition of somebody where there needs to be no qualifiers. There needs to be no introduction for it, where it's not even, oh, well, they were completely wasted in that bloody promotion, but wait till you see what they've really got in them. And you're right, it's it's a Charlotte, it's a Sasha Banks, it's a Becky. It could even be a Paige or somebody like that, like just somebody who feels like they have, you know, <laughs> been one of the faces of this quote-unquote women's revolution marketing exercise in WWE. Um I just, I would love it. I would love it to be Sasha Banks, like more than anything in the world. I mean, it'd probably the one you'd probably most likely say is, is Charlotte, given the whole the t- situation she's got going on over there. But I think anybody who could, if you could have any single one of them, I think you'd get Sasha Banks. I, th- I you probably I, right. I'm sorry, I, I say this as a guy who owns a Becky Lynch t shirt, right? <laughs> I think you'd still get Sasha Banks. Well, as somebody that owns a Bailey shirt, she's the one for me wow. because I think she comes in with all of this star power, but she's a natural elevator of talent. Every woman speaks of like how good Bailey was for them uh, from a training point of view in the performance center, from working with her on the main roster. She's probably absorbed the most blows and kicked out from the most like assaults on her character. If you think about the ringer they put that baby face yeah. through and how she became the kind of the savior of WWE in the pandemic, I think star power plus what she offers to the division at large. I think Bailey would be a top five AEW acquisition within the first six months of her time there. But again, like we are down to, I think we published this list at whatculture.com. We are hitting, I would say, crisis point for that last 10 wrestlers, maybe, that you would be shocked to hear getting released. Everybody else in the roster feels up yeah, for grabs, save for 10. And I would include all four horsewomen in that. Uh, right, well, moving on. Uh, we've already talked about the Cody thing. Is you know, just a, more of a recap of that. 
the CM put we got oh, sorry we also did get the Hikaru Shida Sarita deep thing. Is anything much was anything much in that for you? Uh, well, again, in contrast to Kingston and um, 2.0 stuff, they're building towards a fourth match, but the three have been so good that you kind of yeah. still want to see it, and that's a credit to the wrestlers. That's Deep's pretty much, amazing. Yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah, that's pretty much all you can say on that. Um, the Punk segment. Now we said yesterday we wouldn't be surprised if this ended up with them booking a match for next week because you know it's the big move to the new network. You need mm. uh, they've obviously got the championship match, but Punk versus MJF. Being probably the hottest feed they've got right now feels like a really, really natural thing to be advertising. Just, but not. It was just kind of a lot of nothing. This wasn't it. It was very sweet. Um, they... aside, I should say I'm compartmentalizing this. The Brody stuff aside was excellent. It was a lovely promo all yeah. around. But in terms of like furthering some kind of match or booking something or just having something tangible coming out of it, I didn't really. Eh. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. This was, I like this, but for me, this was because it was a bit of a throwback to CM Punk's comeback run in the summer, yeah. where every building was just thrilled to have him, was giving him this like glorious reception, and he was honestly and earnestly moved by it. Um, they promoted this after we finished recording yesterday, but it was sort of an inspired little choice. They promoted it as CM Punk's first appearance in Daly's Place. Now, Daly's Place, obviously, you know, not just because of the Broad Lee tribute, but because of everything during the pandemic, became yeah. hallowed ground for AEW. It became like a home base in a way that a wrestling company's like not had in 20 odd years, really. Um, so for CM Punk to be on this stage where almost every AEW wrestler was forced to play their trade in the, in the darkest of times. It was quite a visual, it was quite a moment, and they were quite smart to promote that. And I thought Punk did a really good job, as he always did, of threading together the earnest stuff about the tribute to Brody. Um, he put over Jim Ross and all this nice stuff. I thought he did a good job of linking that to what he wanted to talk about in, mm. the, in the form of MJF. Um, and it wasn't as... Uh, it didn't sell us on anything, as we maybe thought it might have done, a match or a destination for the fight. But instead, they have added a new wrinkle. They've added a new concept to the story. Sam Punk has listened to MJF. He's referred to him as a Twitter troll, but he's listened to what MJF said, and he's, he's heard his aspirations for either Wardlow to win the TNT title or MJF to win the world title. And CM Punk has decided, well, if you're going to be a troll with everything you say, I'm going to be one with everything that you do. And it becomes my job to stop you ascending and i think that's a pretty cool role for cm punk to assume as a bit of a mjf is a bit of an arsehole and cm punk as a legend and as a veteran wants to police that a little bit i think that's a nice he knows that he's not gonna like last week he was drawn in a cat and mouse literally around the building and he, <laughs> yeah and he lost that game and cm punk doesn't like that that character doesn't like that he likes to be ahead of things. He likes to be the smartest and coolest guy in the room. So I think this is his new way of reframing that. I, I enjoyed it, but there wasn't a lot of meat on the bones. I will say that. I will say he also, for all it was, it was there was something there, even if it wasn't like massively brilliant. He did also get the joke wrong because he said it was, uh, where, where have I written, I've written it down here. Where is it? Uh, MJF, the world, the world title in MJF is a bigger waste of con money since, since Tim Tebo. Now, I don't know who that is, but surely the correct answer was that's the biggest waste of car money since Shawn Michael Seri. <laughs> I mean, I would understand that one more so than the Tim Tebow reference. I think that's, just, uh... that, that's the transatlantic translation of that joke, isn't it? It's not, not I'm presuming that's some Jacksonville Jaguars yeah. uh, acquisition, whereas, of course, Shawn Michael Seri was Fulham's £27 million sub signing. <laughs> Pictures being the new cross between Angolo Kante, Patrick Vieira, and I think Yaya Torre, who was absolutely one of the worst players I've ever seen in my life. Fulham in being a yo-yo club in the Tony Khan era have made so many mistakes to the transfer market. You could pretty much just put one of those like Simpsons style dubs of Mr. Black over any line you want. And it would work for various <laughs> different international audiences of the various failed transfers they've made. That's the biggest waste of can money since Alfie Mawson. <laughs> one for all the Swansea fans there. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I just, why, why wouldn't they just book a match? I mean, am I, am I being spoiled here? Why wouldn't they book a match? I don't know. I don't know. Um, they might think, understandably, considering how good these are on the microphone, that they can get to um, they can get to revolution. I, I'm not so sure they can. And I don't want to see this run out of steam. I've got faith. Trust the process, as we always say. But um, yeah, I did think we were going to head to the match. But this is something different in the meantime. And um, I guess, like, if you want a, a sort of logical answer for this, maybe MJF trying to no-sell Punk in his quest for titles is a new detail that they can deal with. 
the fact that like he's I don't know what you're talking about. We're not in a feud, Phil. I'm actually working for titles. <laughs> You've imagined this rivalry that we've got. Maybe they'll try that, and that can be a nice delaying tactic for the match. In fairness, that's that's how I beef with every single person I've ever beefed with. <laughs> no, I, I, you might not let me. I barely barely give you a second thought, honestly. Right. Um, quick word on a few extra segments before we get to the main event. Uh, the Brian Pillman Jr. Malachi Black spooky wookie stuff with the lights going off. Any, any that do anything for you? Nothing, nothing at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> spooky bollocks isn't my bag. Uh, Malachi Black. Uh, He's doing well with this gimmick in spite of factors. I don't know. I'm I'm half in, half out on this House of Black stuff. Oh, I've got on that. Yeah, same. The acclaimed, uh, they're annoyed about Sting and Darby Allen. Darby Allen doesn't care where on the card they are. It just seemed to be a lot of like, let's just make sure these people are on the show somewhere for this bit. Max Caster, famed for his raps, of course. Um, Anthony Bowens is going to have to dig Darby Allen out of the mud that Cora Jade put him in so that Max Caster can put him back there um, over that ridiculous skateboarding row. So I look forward to like Caster's rap more than I do the match. Darby Allen's a beloved figure, not by me, um, but he is a beloved figure. And they are working quite hard on his uh, run back up the rankings. So these like what feel like inessential singles and tag matches are designed to show Darby having to take like the road less traveled, the hard yards mm. before he gets back into title contention. It's ranking stuff. And I will I'll give him respect for that. They, they do care about the sporting framework when it comes to his his year. I don't know whether you included this in your four women's uh, feuds advanced or whether they, we're actually getting to add another one to this. But uh, the the Tay, the Tana, the oh, what, how do they do the tag team name? Tay, Anna, Tay, Anna, Tay J, and then Bunny and Penelope Ford. They're having a street um, fight on Rampage for some reason. Oh, uh, we've had a lot of it, man. Like, we've had a lot of this. <laughs> and, uh, Kind of the direct contrast to Dave and Sheena, where you really do want them to fight forever. I think I want these to fight for never, ever again. I, like, and yet we're getting this has to, a street fight implies that there will be weapons and there will be blood and there will be danger. Maybe that will at long last be the end of it. I don't know anybody that wanted one more of these, but we're getting one. The bunny, of course, famously destroyed Roman Reigns head to head in some demos. So we have to give them the window to keep her on TV yeah. that little bit longer. But I right, let this be the end of it. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna reserve judgment on this whole thing until after this particular match, I think, because right now, I'm with you. They did not need, this did not need to carry on any further, but some kind of blow you away, actually catch you off guard, hey, wasn't that surprisingly good street fight, could make the whole thing, I'm going to stop short of saying worthwhile, and I'm going to say not a total waste of everybody's time. Hope not. Hope not. I hope not. Anyway, fingers because crossed. It, because right. it will be my time and I don't want it wasted. That's exactly it. Well, you get paid for it either way. Shut <laughs> up. Right. Uh, your main event of the evening, we have already touched on this ever so slightly with the whole, ooh, can they coexist angle? But Orange Cassidy, best friends, Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole and Bobby Fish, the artists formerly known as Undisputed Era. Have I missed the bit? Have they got a new name yet? Not yet. Um, yeah. But me and I know many others were watching that entrance with bated breath, A, to see if they do the unified pose again, which they did, be still my beating heart, but watching Kyle O'Reilly quite enjoying the theme, but not enough to air guitar to it just yet. They're going <laughs> to tease that out, and I welcome that. Uh, the match itself, it, was just, it just stopped short of being really good for me. It was it was fine. Again, to be fair, for, for a show that I actually thought in-ring would be a lot better than it was outside the ring, I actually think pretty much top to bottom, it was all just all right. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, in the case of um, the Undisputed Era Best Friends, I'd say that's like a minimum expectation. Yeah. So you could, ar you could argue that it felt like... I thought this was a good match and it had flashes. It had really great flashes. Um, Kyle O'Reilly, because he was working three weeks ago, obviously hasn't missed a step. But even so, like, even though he was working on NXT as recently as like two weeks ago, there's still a transition that you could have expected. There was none here. It was like, he's, like it does show that the great wrestlers can paint their, paint, paint their portraits on any canvas because he slotted straight in to a very different style. He was back to being Kyle O'Reilly. This was a throwback to everything we loved about seeing him and Fish together as Red Dragon and then in NXT. So that was fantastic. I have an issue with best friends. Um, I don't like want this to be a constant drone that I know I've bored people in the podcast before I love Orange Cassidy in way smaller doses than AEW give us I think <laughs> with you on that one. I, genuinely it, it works for me every couple of weeks that's about it he should be the contemporary Undertaker 
in his character shouldn't make sense within the universe, but it totally does in the small doses you get it. Mm. You know, like the Undertaker brought his magic powers once in a while, and that was fine and all fun and games. Orange Cassidy should bring this very specific style once every three or four months, and just the pops should be huge, and then he should be gone. Best friends aren't a main event act, and I do wonder if that's why Trent Barretta has cut his hair, got jacked, and is trying to gradually distance himself from it because he wants to have one last chance before he gets too old because I just don't feel like they're a particularly big deal. This was not... It wasn't a protracted squash, but the result was never, ever in doubt. And this goes back a little bit to what we were talking about with the um, Red Dragon, Young Bucks tension. Where does Adam Cole stand and all that? Mm. I loved, loved in this match... uh, Kyle O'Reilly being both saviour and slayer of Adam Cole. That was that one spot where he booted him in the head. Ah, were, was they, the, were they miscommunicated? <laughs> yeah, and then there was the other spot where he pushed him out of danger. So you've, you've had both. You've had, well, look, is Kyle O'Reilly with him or not? Because there's been a miscommunication, but then later on he saved the day. Oh, I forget which way around it was, but you've had both. So the idea is Cole can realistically think one or the other, and it makes narrative sense. What I'm a little bit eh on is... They won, right? And when Kyle O'Reilly arrived last week to run interference for Adam Cole, they won there as well. So, yes, the Young Bucks and Red Dragon might not trust each other because of um, canonical historical rivalries. But in AEW law, they're two for two. Like, they're on fire as a fivesome. Why do we have to have the drama sort of imposed upon us when things are pretty good? You know, when things are... Who, who was it? You're a Newcastle fan. Who was it that um, Lee Bowie had that fight with on the pitch? It was, Kieran, it was Kieran Dyer, as you well right. know. You just wanted to make me say I, it. I couldn't remember if it was Dyer or somebody else. But what I do remember is that like Newcastle weren't in a, a rich vein of form at the time. And it was seen as a bit of a representative of, or like things aren't as great as they, as they once were under Bobby Robson. If things were fantastic, mask that there's any problems on the training ground and that there's arguments over set pieces. And just put your arms around each other and celebrate another win. What that visualised was that oh, things are maybe less than ideal. At the moment on screen, everything's going pretty well for these guys. Why are they fighting with each other? Why is there a tension when none perhaps needs to exist yet? And that is my slight issue with this. I, I think because they knew that we, the we the fans, were going to get excited for the dream six-man match and the dream whose who side's Adam Cole on, they've kind of raced to it without explaining why the characters are so pissy with each other. Yeah, actually, you raise a very, very good point here because they've got currently no reason to be like I, I it's difficult because like obviously adam cole's come back and whatever whatever tension they were going to do between him and omega they're currently not having to do because omega is not there and i kind of understand this idea that like the the elite spiraling out of the bullet club and now to the super clique and everything it's always about a group within a group it's always about the best within the best and it's always about not losing your spot in a group which already has the top spot. I do get that. But I just think in every other occurrence they've done it, there's been a logical reason for doing it. And I just think these two coming in because they're really good mates with Adam Cole, who is himself coming because he's really good mates with the Young Bucks. Right now, there's no reason... Right, I put it this way. If Red Dragon had been on a tear in the tag division, right, Mm. then you could sort of go, hang on. So you've brought... We brought you back. And you've brought these two in, and now they're t- they're on their way to taking our spot in the tag thing. Yeah. But right now, it's just there's no difference between these lads and the Good Brothers, for example, because they were just yeah, they were there. exactly that. They were, yeah. There was no tension there because they were just they were just there. So I don't yes. I don't completely I don't completely cook, get it. Cook the chip before you place it on someone's shoulder. That's what I'm asking for. You know, like it's... cook the chip before you place it. Yeah, exactly. See, I know the young bucks are arseholes, and I know that's the gimmick, and I know that they're like it's in them to just feel jealous, like out, like out the shoot. But all is pretty rosy. Like, do the elite and the super click and whatever have the? Do these subgroups have these rules where it's very strictly threes triumvirates, as we said yesterday? Absolute, tri- absolute triumvirates, and there can be no other overlaps. I don't know. It's I, I get what they're going. We're all into it. We're all along for the ride. I just felt like all of that feels a little bit forced at the moment. And the Young Bucks have got previous with the overacted melodrama not hitting so well as well. Like, so there's there's a kind of, I think there's a nervousness on my part to think, ah, oh, I don't want to go back to this conflict and emotions nonsense when we can all see the end destination. Well, this is it. I think what, you, what you've touched on there, especially with the Newcastle United analogy, analogy is excellent because I remember that season very vividly. They actually did, they got rid of Robson um, mm. and they got Graeme Sooness in and it was fine. Went on a rather long unbeaten run 
that culminated in us getting, in the space of two games, dumped out of the uh, UEFA Cup quarterfinals, 4-1 by Sport and Lisbon, and then getting dumped out of the FA Cup semifinals. I was at that one, 4-1 by Manchester United, and then getting beat 3-0 off Aston Villa in the league when two players had a fight on the pitch. And it just, <laughs> that was the, impl- that, you know, everything had been going swimmingly up till this point, and then the implosion mm. happened because there was something informing it, that everything yeah. had gone horribly wrong. So, yeah, I just, I don't know. I think cooking the chip before you put it on the shoulder is probably the best way to describe it. But overall, <laughs> the match itself, a bit underwhelming for you. Yeah, um, good, good enough. Absolutely good enough. I just, I never think particularly best friends are it um, in these in these high level positions, save for wacky stipulations, street fight main events. Um, and the dislike, the, just the, not so much the disparity between the talent, but the disparity between the attention and the focus was mm. too big for me to ever buy into this going any other way than a, a undisputed error win. Well, oh, whatever we have, we're going to call them. We need a name. We do need we a do name. We do need a name. And Sidgwick has suggested the error boys thinking that they've subtly planted this seed for ages, but I don't I don't think they have done that at all. So if you've got any good suggestions for the name for this three team, why don't you just keep that to yourself? Because uh, we get enough social media notifications as it is. Right, Michael Hanford, <laughs> before I wrap up, anything else, any other business? Zero. I think we've covered it all. I think we're good. God, two absolute consummate professionals. Excellent. Right, well, if you're a fan of this high level of professionalism, you've got one more day of it, but why not subscribe anyway at uh, either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts from for a daily wrestling podcast where we preview and review absolutely every single thing that's going. I've said it every day for the last two weeks. I ain't saying it again, but there's also the occasional interview, a roundtable discussion, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. Open brackets, cards subject to change. Close brackets. Michael Hamlet, where can they get you on Twitter? At Michael Hamflet. Get me on Twitter at Adam Cleary, C-L-E-R-Y. The entire World Culture Wrestling family at World Culture WWE. But until tomorrow, we have been... We haven't got a team name. You know, I've noticed this. Everyone's got a... Every little duo's got a name. With the era, boys. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the year. Very good. Right, we have been... My name is Adam Cleary. This is Michael Hamflet. We are the end of the era, boys. And we will see you tomorrow. Goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.